cool nice to finally talk to you man again after the Lambroke podcast yeah yeah that was good um ever since we had that chat i knew we had to do soulcast at some point um how is uh new york treating you i know that there's uh a lot of energy in the air and things are opening up again yeah dude it's lively again um everyone's going out to eat everyone's excited yeah. i mean a lot of that has to do with the vax because everyone feels more confident now that they got it yeah you know, i i personally didn't get it but i still want to get to enjoy the services <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly you know best of both worlds uh, i would argue yes um, that's yeah that's a whole a whole issue and parts of the other other parts of the world you know they dangle the carrot of the vaccine in front of people and say hey look you can get back to normal life you just got to get this i don't think people are doing it because they're scared of the disease itself you do or you don't I don't. I think it's just to get back the freedoms that the government took it away. The yeah, it's kind of, of like like sighing and being like, okay, finally, whatever it takes to be able to go to a restaurant again, I'll just do yeah. whatever they tell me to do. Yeah. Actually, yeah. man. Um, oh, well. I agree. Oh, I'm, I'm also like, you know, I'm a scientist, I have a PhD, so I'm like, the science is probably okay. But that doesn't change the fact that I value my freedom a little bit more than whether or not the mRNA vaccine is effective or not. Yeah. You know, I just value being able to make my own choice on the matter. Exactly. And that's what it should always have been. And that's my main point is like, okay, cool. You want to rush this thing through in order to save lives. If that's really what you want to do, cool. Um, give it to the people that want it that feel like it would help protect them but as soon as you say everyone has to get it otherwise we'll never go back to normal life even though it doesn't necessarily prevent transmission and most people are going to be fine without you know younger healthy people uh, with healthy bodies that is when i just take a step and go okay then the issue is no longer, you know, save people. It's should we allow the government to mandate injections of this profitable, very profitable thing, you know, and you got to separate the issue from the emotional, you know, coverage uh, on the news. And this is, I always go back to first principles with things like this. Would you want the government to have an extra power that we know historically, or the people that have read historically, know that the, once the government gets an extra power, they never go, okay, here's that, here's that freedom back, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, um, you know, I, I remember asking my fiance back last April, I'm like, you know, they're gonna probably come out with something. Do you think that they're gonna use this as an excuse to gain more power? <laughs> and the answer was like, Probably, but like, so I find it actually interesting that they're not requiring it by force. They're doing a very, a much coercion. more subtle strategy. And I, I find that it's coercion, it's social pressure, but it's also like, if you want to go to a professional sports game, you have to get it. So it's not like they're like, I think they're too smart these days to actually like buy 
you know, by the end of a barrel of a gun, say you have to get it, they're more like, hey, if you want any of our services, you have to get it, but it's still your choice. So they're being very subtle about their the way they're forcing it. Yeah, it's, you know, for most people, they want to get back to their bread and circus, seeing their friends, you know, going out and, you know, I'm the same that those things taking away are, you know, the social outlet, which is important for all humans. Uh, I, I just have a hard line with, you know, what I'm going to do to get back there. Like, I'll be fine. I'll be fine, you know, comparatively. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but if people want to go back to their normal way of life, then... Oh yeah, you don't have to get it, dude. But if you want to travel again, if you want to see family overseas, then you do have to get it, and we'll collect the check for doing so. And also, we're paying for it with your tax dollars. <laughs> yeah, they're paying for it with your tax dollars, and twenty-five percent of Pfizer's quarter one revenue, about four billion dollars, came from the vaccine, which is interesting. That's insane. <clears throat> and yeah, so Pfizer made like what, like. 16 20 million dollars or so in quarter one of or sorry, 16 to 20 billion dollars and one fourth of that came from vaccines so you have to wonder about the incentives now i am a little different than a lot of people we follow on twitter where i don't think it's actually a conspiracy to force people to take it i just think all the incentives are aligned for big business to win that's my yeah. guess yeah for you know the motivations as such um, does that matter? You know, if you look at this, the kind obviously it matters to a point, but you know, for, for all intents and purposes, this is happening. People are being coerced into it. So you have to say, you know, do I think that there's a global conspiracy, you know, to, to make us have it and then, you know, make us infertile? Hmm, I don't know. It's kind of hard to investigate, hard to prove, but people's rights being taken away. Uh, big business is profiting and the little people that can't absorb the lockdown costs that are just told that they can't open versus you know the big chains that can afford to oh it's an essential service actually uh we saw an incredible wealth transfer between that and the big business and you know at the heart of it always with these things same with if you go to look to the you know industrial uh war complex uh then that always is like, okay, yeah, we need to invade this country because, you know, try and keep the peace. But actually, it's an oil field there and it would make us billions to go and get it. So there's the, the motivation is money and then there's the smokescreen of whatever else in order to promote that cause. And I think that that is more probably uh, the reason for the increase in medical totalitarianism that we're seeing i think so too do you like see yourself as like a revolutionary that's going to lead an uprising against the vaccine (laughs) um i don't know about that i know that i want to share my opinion honestly because a lot of people are not in the position to be able to do so like genuinely like you said there's the social pressure there's these um if they're in a a job that they have to get it or whatever uh luckily i'm not in that position and i have access to and people send me a lot of information that you know otherwise people wouldn't see so i try and share that and if i could switch a button and you know deliver the information to every person in the world just so they can make an informed decision rather than what they just see on the tv uh, i would 100 percent do that and i would want to do that whether or not 
that translates to a revolution against the vaccine. Like, fuck it, I'll do it, you know? But (laughs) (laughs) do I see myself as that? I don't know. I'm just trying to, you know, I, I see it for what it is. And I'm afraid that most people just are either don't give a shit, just want, to, oh, I'm going to take a vaccine to get back to a normal life. Okay, I'll take it. I've had other vaccines as a child, you know, I'll, I'll be fine. I'm fine now. This one's got to be okay. But it's the, it's almost the, you know, you got to look further down the line. Okay, everyone, or most people get the vaccine. Now they have the validity to say, oh, well, you know, now that everyone's got the vaccine, just to make sure that we can track all that, uh, we can have an app on your phone, which is your vaccine passport, which we're now seeing countries do around the world, uh, which was a conspiracy theory, by the way. But now that we have that, because, oh, yeah, I guess I've got the vaccine. I guess I can just get the vaccine passport as well. And then you have... argument, right? Huh? It's the slippery slope argument, where it's yeah. just a small, innocuous little changes, but before yeah. you know it, it's too late. Yeah, well, my friend was telling me the other night, um, we were just, you know, discussing COVID as you do. And he said that, you look, if they came out and said, we're going to have lockdowns intermittently for the next five years, and eventually everyone's going to have to have the vaccine, and you're not going to be able to travel for the next five years. Of course, I would go in and protest. Of course, you know, people wouldn't put up with that. And then I thought, well, of course, they're never going to say that. that. They're yeah, never going to say that that's what we want. It, yeah. It's just, oh, it's only two weeks. Oh, it's only a few months. Oh, it's only, you know, essential workers. And it's the slippery slope or the frog that's boiling in a pot of water. It doesn't get yep. out till it's too hot. It's, this, it's <laughs> the slow drip. And, you know, if you go so to question, sleep... Do you, do you think the science is bad, though? Do you actually think the vaccine doesn't work? Because I think it does work. I don't belo- deny the science of it. What do so you think? I, I'm not going to pretend that um, I'm a you know an expert in these things. All I see mm-hmm. is you know if if it was this disease that was coming around and putting like twenty percent of people that get it in hospital or, or whatever it right. is. We're not seeing the streets laden with sick yeah. people that are dying yeah. like the Black Plague, which killed yeah. a third of the world's population hundreds of yeah. years ago, right? We're not seeing that. Exactly. And, you know, most people that get this thing don't experience symptoms. That's a fact. That's based on the science. Yeah. So then if you're measuring the efficacy of this vaccine, which most people don't get ill from getting the actual thing, um, in the first place, and then you just say, yeah, we're 96% effective versus 95% effective of doing nothing. Then the 1% excess gain for me to in people that are probably, you know, at risk because they're obese and they never move and their diet is shit and they smoke and all the rest of it, then that excess protection, you know, assuming that that's true is not worth the possibility of all the side effects that we're seeing because you might not even get it in the first place you've got to take that into account and then the chance that it's actually going to confer protection uh for someone that like me who's healthy and then you know i'm not going to get vaccinated for every other disease on the sun because i might not ever come into contact with it you know and i i had uh vaccines as a kid i obviously didn't have any choice in the matter I'm fine now, 
but they were, you could argue, you know, less rushed, less politicized, less uh, yes. financially motivated. And to me, you know, if, if it was one thing that they were like, really need to protect against people were dying everywhere okay I, i'd be more inclined to it but there's no risk really to make it worth it to do that in my opinion i, at mass I feel scale. the same way you know it's like i i under like you know a lot of my friends are scientists so i understand the mentality of like listen polio is just not an issue in the developed world anymore because we force everyone to get the vaccine and this should be viewed the same but on the other hand i don't think this is the same as like polio or smallpox either yeah no it's definitely not and i don't think the vaccines even operate the same way or with the same no this of... is the first mrna vaccine that we were promoting so it's very yeah. different yeah, exactly. And we don't have to talk about COVID the whole time either. I don't want to. Of course. Get on of it. course. It's good to chat about, though. It is, you know, yeah. important to Something have these discussions. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you because your background, you have a lot of knowledge about artificial intelligence, of course. And I, you know, you could go into a bit of a background about, you know, how, how you interpret that and um, your experience with that. But the, I forget the exact name of it, but you'll probably um, know the guy that I'm kind of referencing. He was having a speech about a tech company uh, that he was, you know, hiring for uh, at a lecture. And he was speaking about how aliens are not extraterrestrial in that sense. What they are is these eventual super intelligences that humans are creating through our endless technological advancements. And he says that we kind of really don't know what we're getting ourselves into. It's this unconscious march. And Sam Harris says the same thing. You know, we're, we're all kind of sleeping, we're worried about politics, but under the surface, there's this bubbling of a greater technological intelligence that doesn't operate like humans do, doesn't think like we do, but that is the kind of end position of AI and our technological advancement, but we don't really know what we're creating. Do you think that that's a possibility? So... A few thoughts on that. I One, I do think it's a possibility. So <clears throat> I think this has a lot to do with when we're talking about aliens and whether they're terrestrial or extraterrestrial, I think we have to include the discussion of psychedelics to them because a lot of people who have – I haven't taken yeah. psychedelics besides weed, so I don't know what mushrooms or DMT or ayahuasca make you feel. So I, I don't – just to be clear, I don't have direct firsthand experience with that. But a lot of people talk about them being autonomous entities that you interact with, as in separate little elves that are like – extra language they're extra dimensional but you can interpret and you can psycho you know telepathically communicate with them yeah and it's like aliens communicating with us so there might be some instance of aliens being extra dimensional versus yeah. extraterrestrial that's one consideration yeah now when it comes to ai i personally take the craftsman approach because i build ai every day i'm my clients have me and my company build AI for them to try to predict the future, try to predict if a new patient comes in, 
do you have heart disease? So one of my clients, we have a little finger sensor that measures your heart rate. And my AI is supposed to tell you, given that heart rate or heartbeat, do you have heart disease or not? Mm. So to me, like, it's challenging to get the computer to think that. But what's interesting is the computer thinks differently than us, as you alluded to. So when I have the computer, I give it hundreds and hundreds and thousands of heart rates, and it figures out what tells you if you have heart disease or not. That is often very different from what a doctor would look at. So the computer might find that like the logarithm of the second heartbeat times the square root of something else yeah, yeah. is super, super predictive of heart disease. The computer thinks differently than us. It only looks at the patterns in the data you're giving it. So when, now when you like step back from that and you get, get away from the nuts and bolts of the AI, the computer is really just silicon chips that are able to find patterns. The silicon, like, mm. is basically rocks. If you think of, like, computer chips, they're, like, really intelligently crafted rocks that electricity <laughs> flows through, and they're, they're able to intelligently, based on very logical orders of operations of that, this rock moves there, or this electrical circuit moves here. Yeah. Based on that, it actually makes weird predictions that are really, really freaking accurate. You know, you see the videos of self-driving cars. That's just a bunch of silicon chips that tell the car where to move, left or right. You know, turn the steering wheel three degrees this way, step on the gas, you know, two pounds of force, whatever it is. Yeah. Just rocks and electrical signals. If you really drill down to it and be super lame and reductionist, it's just, you know, solid pieces of metal with electrical signals running through it, designed intelligently by humans. And it can make find patterns that humans can't. Yeah. So are you like, are you um, channeling extra dimensional intelligence into the silicon computer chips? Maybe. Who knows, right? Yeah. That's my view of it. Yeah. So is there, I guess, you know, this is one uh, particular adaptation of or a version of artificial intelligence. Is there work being done that aims to, you know, create a, a base level human version that is artificial, you know, that has its own kind of, you know, interpretations and rather than such a specific task that, you know, like detecting heart disease and only has the one adaptation, is there, or other people that are trying to create something like, you know, the, I forget the name of it, but the, the artificial intelligence chatbots that Microsoft creates where it, it, Sorry? The GPT-3 thing that OpenAI developed that can like write copy for you and write sales and write emails for you. Maybe. Yeah, so there's that as well. And, you know, you can create computer programs or buttons that link to this thing if you just tell it what you want. Like, I feel like that kind of has at least the appearance of some sort of um, anthropomorphic intelligence more so that has its own, you know, processing and reaction. And if that can get sufficiently, again, it's all conjecture, but I, I know there are people that have said that, you know, these big companies like at Google and things that the top tech executives have, uh, and, you know, I'm talking shit here, but it, it's fun to talk about. Uh, they have a supercomputer underneath their headquarters that the top executives worship similar to like a, a deity or something. I think, all right, so 
I think the way it works now is um, AI right now memorizes patterns and it can memorize patterns from sensors all over the world with a huge amount of data that a human can't process. We can't process the weather sensors around the, all the world all at once. AI can do that. Now what you're talking about is AGI, artificial general intelligence, where it can actually reason through things. Now one thing computers can't do yet, they can't reason. So there's two types of reasoning that like philosophy 101 majors learn inductive and deductive reasoning where it's like okay you know based on this i believe this you know stuff that we just like we don't we take for granted that the human brain can do ai can't do that yet it can't actually reason through things it can't logically say like hey i've seen a thousand images of a cup i know what a cup (laughs) is i also know what a bat is because i see an image of a bat and i know what a bat is you train an ai for cups then you train another ai for bats or you train an ai to play video games or you train an AI to detect faces in a camera. Yeah. AI doesn't reason yet. I think when we get to like actual consciousness and in AI in terms of that, it could, you could reasonably consider it conscious. Yeah. It would have to reason. It would have to be able to logically go from step A to step B to step C. It would also have to be a little bit creative. AI doesn't know how to be creative either. Yeah. You can't have an AI that can discuss a topic of AI and discuss a topic of physics and then write code and then, you know, think of the weather tomorrow. Like an AI right now, it doesn't reason through things in the same way. You need a specialized AI for each one. However, however, I think that when you combine multiple AI systems, what is the human brain but just little sections of neurons in our brain that do specialized you know one part of our brain broca's area does language another part does vision another part does emotions another part does whatever so the emergent phenomenon of all those pieces interacting in one single brain might make a consciousness so ai might be similar where where once you interconnect all these different specialized systems the resulting final system might be intelligent in a general sense that's my guess yeah so i guess you could say that the human brain you know there's two arguments to it is that the brain's a computer and we're just processing things but i think what seems more at least intuitive and right for me is that the brain is more of a receiver and nikola tesla said that uh he was a pretty smart dude as we know but Mm -hmm. you know things like memory uh i've heard that the one of the models of it is that your brain is not storing the memory in your brain. It's storing the location of the memory in this other field somewhere that your brain is accessing through like a receiver. There's a funny quote that's like, to try to look for consciousness in the brain is to try to look for a little man speaking in a radio. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. That's a great way to put it. And so, so it's, I think that AI, if you, if you think of what AI is, it's trying to organize all of our computer systems in the world to receive intelligence from a very blanket field. Humans might receive intelligence from this other field in a very specific manner where I receive my intelligence, you receive yours. Yeah. AI is trying to like organize the silicon chips in a way that receives intelligence in a general sense. That's a possibility. It's a little yeah. esoteric, but I think it's. I think if you believe in divinity, and if you believe that you know human intelligence doesn't just 
come from biological neurons and it's actually like an innate yeah. part and the biological neurons are just an after effect, not the other way around. Yeah. You would believe that the silicon chips in computers are also just another means for the intelligence of the universe underneath it all to shine through. Yeah. And I think and this is what I love about you as well. You're, you're obviously very classically trained scientifically. You understand these things, but you also recognize uh, the divinity side of it, the esoteric, you know, spiritual way of life and feeling and, you know, God or whatever. Um, how do you reconcile the two? And if you could just speak about uh, a little bit about your journey with that kind of grappling with that kind of issue. Hmm. So... I don't get along as well with my PhD colleagues, honestly. I mean, we get yeah. along, but I'm not as left-brained as them. I am into like books like the Kybalion. I'm into reading Nietzsche. I'm reading Plato. I'm reading like, I believe that I am a congealed piece of divinity and I'm just congealed into this body and I'm going to do my part in this world. And yeah. my part is also to bridge the gap between the scientifically minded people that and the esoterics that don't believe in each other. I can see both sides in a way. That's how I view my my role in this future. And you know, I also it's like you can like analyze this from like a, a left brain like hyper rational perspective all you want, but I feel in my soul that I'm here to, I'm put on this earth to do something, to build new cities, to, yeah. to share intelligence, or to maybe bridge the gap between esotericism and science that you know both sides are against each other right now so i yeah. i don't really know why i just know that i'm just following my instincts and yeah. believing what i believe you know yeah exactly it's that and i had the same thing like <clears throat> growing up i would have you know i was i was taught uh, at an anglican school and the classic religious teachings and I, I sort of innately rejected that because the the premise was you know believe this or else or believe this because it is you know that there was never a, dogma yeah dogma there was never a theological discussion or like a logical analysis of like okay so you say this but how does that mesh with this and there's conflicting information and you're never allowed to question anything so i was just like no fuck that you know i, I don't agree with that kind of deductive reasoning or, or whatever else later in my life i you know through my own experimentation and just life experience uh like you said intuition as i kind of got closer in tune with that intelligence within myself, I realized that it's definitely not just the 3D world, science and physics explaining everything, you know, there's, there's a, a reason that we can see and measure uh, for everything because my experience in this world completely contradicts that, you know, it's, it's not just, you know, inputs and outputs and, and everything can be explained through a model. Now, when you have that experience and you have that intuition that you feel on a daily basis to yourself and all the rest of it, then it's kind of hard to not believe in it, like you said. And, you know, there is some sort of life force that flows through us all, that keeps us all going and intelligence. Like, why, why are our cells doing, you know, thousands of chemical reactions all throughout the body? How are you digesting consciously right now? Like, all of those unconscious processes that each one of us is doing all the time for our whole lives. Like, what's powering that? What's... What's telling everything to do that if there is not some sort of 
background energetic field that's kind of running the show you know that makes sense to me yeah i think so too you know the, the scientifically minded would say well that just happens to be the set of biology that survived over millions of years right that's the evolution perspective that anything could have been possible and this happened to survive and that's why we're stuck with the way our unconscious processing etc etc i don't like like my personal experience doesn't vibe i mean what 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 i just said kind of makes rational sense and i get it from an intellectual perspective yeah i don't feel like that's true you know i just yeah (laughs) i feel like like i was in some way fated to talk to you today you know i was fated to talk to like professor fraz you know two weeks ago and like the fact that we're all connected is gonna make us all you know have a part in the world that's coming and it's just like i just just, i don't even know how to rationalize it it's just something i feel that was like had to happen and was gonna happen and maybe you know there is free will but I see free will and evolution as like that. There's a thousand ways to get to the end result, but the end result's going to be the same. That's kind of how I see it. Mm. So there is teleology is the phrase for that. Teleology, where we're all pulled towards a final epic yeah. battle of good and evil. Maybe you know, maybe yeah. it's the second coming of Christ. Maybe it's an AI demon. Maybe not. Yeah. Maybe it's something bizarre that none of us can predict because our human brains are limited. Yeah. But I feel like there's like underlying forces trending towards that. Yeah. And we just don't see it. Like, I think honestly, I was thinking about this the other day. The transgender movement, the crypto, AI, you know, COVID, all of this is gonna have a part to play in whatever's coming. Yeah. And I just sense that it's all playing a role. You know, like what what would happen? And I'm I'm not saying this to inspire or deter anyone or anything. This is just completely off the cuff, but like, what if the second coming of Christ is a transgender? You know, like something weird like that that no one saw coming. You know? like, there could be a thousand black swan situations that come that we just don't even know but you know maybe there's underlying forces and underlying entities kind of nudging and guiding the narrative and maybe there's people out there who have a hammer who can really strike the nail and really like force things to go a certain way i don't know we all have a part to play is how i see it yeah so it's 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 interesting because you like to think that we have you know free will and i think we do to a certain degree but like you said you can choose to live in a way where you logically analyze your life and you say right what's logically the best next step for me the decision i should take you know based on pros and cons but then there's also where you get an urge to hey go say that you like that guy's shoes over there why do you get thoughts like that so where does that come from and i've found that when you you can choose the free will bit is almost like oh i'm just gonna ignore that thought or or i'm just gonna go do it because fuck it why not and when you say why not and you pursue that whim wherever that whimsy came from that seems to always lead somewhere positive whether or not it's just the guy being like oh thanks dude you you know i just got these shoes yesterday and then he feels great for the rest of the day that that's a win that's a positive interaction where you've interacted with the web of human energy and produced a better outcome that you could have just ignored now there's you know examples of this like my my friend 
he was in the corporate world, um, quit recently or uh, a few months ago and pursued his, let's say, illogical passion of uh, teaching yoga. And through that and through the months of training yoga, he was teaching a class and this guy came in uh, and they got talking at the end of the at the end of the class. And that guy runs a, you know, a, a private finance company. And through that, he has now kind of got back into the corporate world without, you know, with a much better, you know, pay structure or whatever. But he would never have done that several months down the line if he hadn't pursued his intuitive goal of learning to teach yoga. You know, it's, it's these interesting little things that kind of weave you around um, the kind of the mesh of this energetic connection that we all have that, you know, is it astrologically related? Is it just how we feel? But there is something to following your intuition. And like you said, I think I agree with you in that there's probably a lot of ways to skin the cat. You know, we have our greater lifelines of purpose and what we feel that we were made here to do. Like what brought us together on Twitter? What created this network and you know now that we're speaking on this podcast and other people are going to listen to it and that's going to contribute to the you know let's say awareness of the greater population i don't know but we're all here and we all have our role to play which i think is is beautiful and it also gives us um you know people without religion they often say that and i don't think you need religion as such but you definitely need some sort of feeling of spiritual connection to everything else because we are all connected and it's it's like if you um if you don't connect with other people uh that is the most dangerous it's like the highest risk factor for early death is loneliness and that's because Hmm. if you cut your fingers off they're not getting the blood supply from the body. And if we are not connected to other humans, we're not getting that energetic connection similar to, um, you know, isolation or whatever. So I, I think there is something more to consider besides the 3D realm that all religions hint at and, you know, describe in their own way. But the, the other thing is you cannot have all these different religions that have kind of come across on the same different places but they arrive at the same conclusions and have overlap without that overlap having truth to it and that's how i see it what do you think of psychedelics because a lot of people who take psychedelics like dmt like they are full believers in a minute like there's no question in their mind are you into that have you taken those like what is your thoughts on psychedelics so I've tried acid and I've tried shrooms. I haven't done DMT and DMT is the, I guess the, one of the more potent ones where you get that kind of interdimensional. The most potent, I've heard. <laughs> the most yeah. potent. I, 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 wouldn't, I want to do ayahuasca, you know, I wouldn't do the, the DMT vape pens because I think that's a bit of a bastardization of something that should be treated with reverence. So uh, I'm gonna find or eventually try ayahuasca one day, but, Mike Cernovich talked about this, you know, a whole room of people will try ayahuasca and then they all see the same thing. Now, what does that say 
differently than if everyone had their own, you know, let's say hallucinations that were relevant to them and their experience and what was on their mind at the time versus, okay, now I'm in this different level of awareness that's been unlocked by this DMT molecule where we all see the same thing. Like that to me is like, okay, there's something here that's not just, oh, I take a silly little drug and now I'm, you know, seeing things, you know? That's what I think about them. I also think shrooms are a bit different, uh, obviously, than DMT, but it depends how much you do, right? Like there's, there's levels in terms of the doses. I think you'd really enjoy it uh, if, if you ever got the opportunity. So, yeah. You have the right, <laughs> oh, I'll, the right mindset. <laughs> I feel like I'm fated to do it one day when the time is right. Yeah. Kind of waiting to see when the time is right. Exactly. And the opportunity will arrive for you, I'm sure, sometime soon. uh, And you can intuitively follow it as well, rather than pursuing it or whatever. But it definitely, you know, it's a shortcut to a feeling of interconnectedness with everything. And for me, when I first tried LSD, I was... Like, honestly, I was probably a little bit more aggressive and argumentative. And I was also, you know... 20 at the times you young males always like that but there's a there was definitely a marked difference in the how i felt connectedness wise with everyone else <clears throat> pre and post trying sales deep and a lot of people mention that uh maybe it's the first time they've really had that kind of religious spiritual feeling where we're all part of the same thing you know the stars are so beautiful they are you know all part of us and then you have a there's less otherness there's less ego there's less like competition and competition and ego is good if you want to progress your physical self and your role in this world it's it's essential but it can also lead to a lot of bullshit which i'm sure you you know some egoic young guys who you know they're always thinking about for themselves or whatever else it's the the chest thumping mentality of a gorilla yeah the the gorilla mindset um which i think you know it's it's good to a degree but once you're past that you realize like come on dude like we we don't need to be doing that anymore yeah you know so when i meditate every day so i sense something similar what people said to me is like listen your meditation ain't shit you know meditation is like driving on a car and you know drugs psychedelics are like taking a jet plane i'm like okay whatever you know i get it i'm i'm not against the things but i sense things in meditation that just make me realize that like if you relax into the field and the flow state of the deep flow behind you you can tap into things and this universe is not just the 3d and you know we talked about ai but one thing we haven't talked about is something that's very close to my heart is key book club which is my second company where we do book summaries and on the surface that sounds kind of like okay whatever it's just like a book summary it's, it's a summary of a book it's a cliff notes but it was a very important piece of who i was and a very important mission that i've had myself where the world needs books like cernovich's gorilla mindset like Pabellion, like deep nutrition like that but it needs that written in a certain way that triggers people to actually effectively change their real biological lives now i've had like when i was starting this company uh years ago i just had this vision of like there's a futuristic city coming 
and I'm going to build the fucking temple of knowledge for that city. And nothing's going to stop me for that. Yeah. And, like, the city has many pieces. I'm not the only one. I'm not, like, the one leading it necessarily. I, mean, yeah. I probably will, but we'll see. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, there's a role for other people in this vision, but the vision was the world needs condensed knowledge. Magic, in my mind, was condensed knowledge, and I needed to, I needed to share with people the specific books that matter. I needed yeah. to be the one to lead people. And, like... Books could be drugs in a way. Like if you read a good fucking book, like if you read fucking Plato or the Iliad or something ancient, like your mind expands. Yeah. It is yeah. as effective, at least for me, it's as effective as weed. I don't know if it's as effective as other drugs, but like yeah. you start thinking about the vibrations of the world. You start thinking, maybe there's entities floating around in the ether that affect me. And you know, I'm a scientifically minded person. So this is tough for me because I have a PhD and I'm like trained to be a scientist and like yeah. think rationally, but I'm like, I don't know. I just can't deny what happens when I read a good book by nature. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree, man. Like it, it's a, you know, words themselves are magic spells and right. they can be, you know, I like it. You can read a tweet that ignites something in you. And what is that if not a, you know, some sort of magical communication of energy that is communicated through these particular letters and symbols that we associate with other things. And it's like sharing neural connections. Yeah, exactly. And that in book form is the same thing and you know I, I you can read something which permanently shifts your way of thinking positively and you then go through the rest of your life with that idea in your head but let's say it's uh you know the stoic ideal i remember when i was you know 14 15 reading meditations uh by marcus aurelius and that itself was fundamentally core in me realizing, okay, your thoughts are your thoughts. You are this separate thing. You can't control, you know, what thoughts particularly pop into your mind. You can't control the events around you. What you can control is how you react to things and your interpretation of things, which then, you know, dictate your emotional state. And that is a fundamental thing that completely changed the way I, I thought at the time. And that was from a book. And so there's... And because of that, you and I are talking now, right? Exactly, exactly. Would we you still know. be talking if you hadn't read that book? You know, probably not because I, yeah, maybe again, that was one of the ways that I get through to this particular place in time and I would have got there eventually otherwise. But that, you know, it's, it's a butterfly effect in a way. It's like that book right. found its way into my hands. It permanently shifted the way I was thinking and it formed the mindset that enabled me to present all this content that I put out through Solbra. So it's, it's very interesting that that book written thousands of years ago finds its way into my hands and, you know, unlocks something within me, unlocks knowledge and knowledge is always, you know, what event, what, ultimately frees people and that's why they burnt down the library of alexandria and that's why you feel that inside of you that that thing has to be be created again ideally in a, a more resilient online or you know at least backed up state rather than just in physical books although you could argue that physical books are the only ones that aren't able to be censored or you know deleted from mm -hmm. a fucking hard drive or whatever so there's that balance as well well, so now two things on that. One, 
it's nice that you said the book found its way into your hands because that's also from the book the kybalion where knowledge is sort of always out there as the structure of the universe and it finds itself into the human hands and that's a very different from the atheist perspective where we seek out books that resonate with us that's saying that the books are kind of well not books because books are kind of a human invention more like the knowledge is the structure and that seeks people out which is a very backwards perspective now yeah the other side of that though is the the christian view of lucifer as the angel of light where lucifer brought the ration of knowledge and took man out of the garden of eden where man was pure bliss like an animal super yeah. present in touch with god didn't need yeah. the knowledge didn't need to rationally analyze it and the yeah. devil is actually what perpetuates knowledge because the devil is sharing the knowledge mm. and the humans would have been happier if it would just blissfully with like an animal like a monkey just blissfully with god you know yeah, so in the moment what do you think of that perspective um so i think it could be like the our thinking is where we experience our distress that much is true and people have their all demons or just neocortex like human brain thinking or all thinking what, whatever our conscious ruminations where we have our internal dialogue that analyzes the okay. future and the past, right? And, and things right. that have happened and, and worries and has anxiety and thinks about things all the time rather than, you know, Just that un being, unconscious right? and being and presence. So you could argue, well, I mean, it, it's true that, you know, people have their demons, which we colloquially refer to these issues in our head that we like ruminate on you know some dude will always think about a job that he lost like 20 years ago and that led to a kind of spiral and then he thinks like oh if i hadn't been passed over for that job 20 years ago my life would be different that and that's a demon to him and someone else has a demon that you know that they did something to someone years and years ago and now they're just thinking about it or even they just did something wrong and they're embarrassed about that could be viewed as a demon that sucks away your energy your time your presence your life force that exists in your head because of thinking <clears throat> now animals don't have that they don't have demons they don't have I mean, that we know of like they're just there dogs kind of some monkeys we just don't know yeah yeah exactly you know who knows what kind of intelligence the, the some sort of animals have and i'm sure that there's varying degrees um you know some so animals spectrum, have... not a binary yeah exactly um but i i do think there's whether the devil its entity that it was literally like imported this other awareness of knowledge and logic into our into one person's head and then that kind of spread from there or it's just an allegory for the devil that exists in our minds because of that logical bullshit that goes on i don't know I, but i think for all intents and purposes you can view these things as demons that you can uh, i guess spiritually ascend when you past when you have the, the higher order knowledge that's oh, okay i'm not my thoughts i was just responding to this you know demonic entity that was in my head from some past trauma and i can also let that go i can also exercise myself uh, from that um so i think that that's more the case 
again, it's pure conjecture. No one knows these things for sure, or maybe some people do, but I don't. <laughs> um, but I think it can be treated that way. So, do you see things like the Enlightenment period, like in the 1700s, and the, the rapid, rapid progression of technology, and the hyper-rationalization, and the modern worshipping of science, mm. how do you relate that to, like, godliness and this renewal of spirituality that I see at least in our corner of Twitter and other places? So it's interesting, right? Like, you could argue that this whole COVID thing is a a way of bringing this battle to the forefront of everyone's minds before this like thing, a litmus test yeah before you know a, a bottleneck of some kind a spiritual bottleneck before a lot of people were just completely unconscious they were living their lives life was good you know there were some issues but it wasn't you know you could pretty much separate from it now it's in every single country this problem this increasing rise of technological surveillance, bio biology, you know, tied to that, um, the rule of fear, the rule of social media and media in general, brainwashing people, all of this is now front and center in the public consciousness, whereas before it was kind of around the fringes. Now- Do you think this was faded, inevitable? It, Exactly. To happen this year? I, I think it has to have been, right? Like, now we have to have a conscious effort for people that are aware to fight against this. And whether that forms as a splitting of worlds in a way, where this, this new spiritually aware technology using but technologically aware, like, separating the human from the technology like consciously that's going to be one world and then there's going to be another world that is purely plugged in purely you know vaccines every six months um eating bugs like that that's going to be one reality and i think this whole thing is an opportunity because that's the way you have to look at it right that it's an opportunity for those people that are ready for the next level to finally go there rather than existing in a kind of state of spiritual limbo. And maybe it is a test from a higher intelligence that links us all to finally say, hey guys, look, we're fucking polluting the world. Everyone's on their phones. You're eating garbage food. Like we need to, you know, people are taking advantage of the situation you need to wake the fuck up and you need to finally grapple with these issues. Otherwise, you know, sh shit's going to hit the fan. I have a, I agree with you, but I think I have a slightly different perspective on this. Mm. Um, so when you said pollute the world, I feel like environmentalism and pollution is one thing that both sides actually have in common in a weird way. I yeah. think the extreme left and the extreme right in America both don't like the pollution yeah. i think i think it's like everyone against corporations in terms of pollution because corporations are pure profit driven usually and yeah. they don't care about pollution unless it's a social issue that they have to care about for profit but yeah well the way i see this is it's 
if you think of the effect of the internet and the COVID, so what COVID did in my mind was it made everyone stay at home and get echo chambers online. So you probably, and I have connected with people that are like-minded to us. And now we have an echo chamber where we believe even stronger in our original kind of path belief beliefs. And now I feel like what's happening is if you think of a meta organism emerging or multiple meta organisms emerging, what does that need to have? It needs to have pockets of individuality and then pockets of connection, like connecting tissue. So the way I see this is the physically weaker people, they're going to band up together in collectivism. And you're already seeing that in the body positivity movement. You're seeing that in the acceptance of victimhood. You're seeing that in a lot of different facets. But that to me is the connecting tissue where there's inside of that, like the, if you think of the boundary of a cell, the, the connecting tissue is all the same. Then inside the cell, there's individual mitochondria, there's individual pieces, there's individualism inside of it. So the way I see, and I, I kind of sound like a fucking madman now, and I recognize that, <laughs> but the way I see it. That's fine. Like, We're all madmen. <laughs> yeah, so I see collectivism as like, the pipes in between individualists like you and I who have our own little groups around us. But the collectivists have a purpose too. We need the collectivists for the meta-organism to survive. And I feel like the internet is kind of filtering people into, are you going to be a collectivist or are you going to be an individualist? And the collectivists, they're going to form the moats and the boundaries and the pipes between the individualists. But together... The meta-organism is arising because, because you know, if you think about evolution, what actually formed life? What created us from single-celled organisms to multi-celled organisms was individual cells starting to specialize. So one cell was only in charge of energy production. Another cell was only in charge of immune system fighting at the boundary. Another cell yeah. was in charge of this, that, and the other thing. And so life itself only evolved when everyone specialized. And I feel like the internet's kind of making multiple meta-organisms where some people, and I think these tend to be on the left-leaning, they're body positive. They're the connecting tissue. They're the collectivist. They're the the hive mind of all the ants where one individual ant doesn't really matter, but collectively all the ants can take over the world. Mm. Whereas there's individuals like us who kind of hate them, but that's okay. Like, I don't really... I don't, I don't hate the collectivists anymore. I used to hate it them so much is. and say, like, fuck you guys, you're weak. Yeah. No, they have their purpose too. We mm. are the pockets of individualists inside the meta-organism cell. So I kind of went on a rant there, but I think you get <laughs> what I'm saying. Yeah, well, it's just the nature of humans when we exist in large amounts. Like, we have a right. clan mentality that's never going to go away and a tribe that we need to feel a part of and part of having a tribe is knowing that there are separate tribes that are different to you and that is you know fundamentally a human kind of proposition and a a human thought that we are never going to get rid of so you have to have that kind of delineation those pipes Uh, but I think what will happen is a splitting of these larger cells and within that you have people that are you know on the same page and that's kind of what what's happened in the world already is different countries uh, will have their own customs language uh, people way of living food now it's digital 
now it's digital. Yes. That's the thing. Yes. That's exactly. a digital third the pop for everyone. Now I have to connect with you in Australia and we have to yeah. think similarly or whatever, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. And and that can be a great blessing, right? Because before the internet, if you were a, a separatist thinker, let's say, or you just had different thoughts that you weren't allowed to express in your particular community, that is, again, you're alone, you're, you're cut off, yeah. um, you feel lonely, you don't feel like you're really connecting with people and, and that's a horrible place to be. But you can now go on a forum where people, everyone thinks right. like you and you're like, fuck yes, these are finally some people that I can you know mesh with and this is my tribe, this is my clan. And that's what the beauty of social media is if you use it in the right way and if you use it in a, a high vibrational way. But <clears throat> there is a danger that you allow the technology to become a demon for you and hk belvedere uh mentioned this on to me recently it's like when we go online um you know it seems that we get tempted into those lower vibrational states those demonic states where we want to attack other people we want to leave mean comments because we we don't really that we would never say in person in front of someone but you know that technological separation the blue light that's burning into our eyes our, how the way our dopamine is just constantly being fucking fired by it you know all of those things whether you want to call it a demon or whether you just want to say like oh you know frazzled by technology and so you act out that is a danger of the technology and i think it's you know, again, the delineation of the two groups is going to be people who realize that and use it properly and use it as a tool or the people that let it rule them and have all their thinking basically derived by the artificial intelligence that is going to feed them the echo chamber information that eventually creates their worldview. You know, what what you expect is what you see, right? And basically it, your, your world forms around that. You know, I'm listening to what you say, and I, I, I really agree, and I like AK, uh, HK Belvedere. I, I follow his mail list and everything. Um, I think the internet, like, to me, all right, so I have a few, let me organize my thoughts. So I have a few thoughts on this. One, I think the quarantine from COVID accelerated this. I think this was always the case, but the quarantine made, you know, if you're a fucking, like, sweater knitter, now you're always around sweater knitters online, and you guys get along really well. Then you start getting angry at people who aren't sweater knitters, and you you're like screw you, you don't know the right you know knitting pattern or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and versus that that group think and that that in group versus out group mentality, which might be good. Um, yeah. Secondly, if you haven't read the book Sanction by Roman McClay, other people in our sphere would know it. You really should read it. It discusses this. It says war is coming, and it kind of makes the case that like in-group versus out-group is natural, and you should embrace it. Yeah. Um, thirdly, I think that the echo chamber effect is, is very interesting and one of the defining moments of our generation that few people have discussed in detail, as you and I have, and it's it's very much like you tend to the, the internet this might sound a little strange and esoteric even more than others but the internet is kind of finding out how low of a common denominator it can get it kind of encourages it kind of is just smushing everyone together online and seeing where the demarcations and the boundaries emerge yeah i think the future is going to be like my guess my prediction for the future is digital nation states where 
each group has their own constitution. This is all forming organically, like Discord groups, Telegram groups. Everything's forming their own culture, their own language, their own, yeah. you Names. know, whatever, their own mentality, their own way of speaking. And the internet is kind of just forcing everyone together. And I went to the Natural History Museum in, in New York City because I live in New York City. And um, I went with my fiance to the Natural History Museum. And one of the exhibits there was the first city. The very first city that humans ever had. Before this, were all nomadic tribes. It was a Persian city. I think it was Mesopotamia, somewhere around there. But the point was, by forcing every, like, by forcing instead of hundreds of people, by forcing thousands of people within a very small, tight area, complex structures emerge, which is where yeah. government was established and organized religion was established mm. and sewage was established and like. Artisans, and now people could specialize just like the cells millions of years ago. People could be a craftsman True. or an artist or older. So I see this as fractal where the internet is forcing everyone in the same platforms. Yeah. And the way Persia had the first city, which required more complex forms of interaction to occur, I think the internet is forming more complex rules digitally. That's, that's my thoughts on that. Yeah, it's uh, it, it gets rid of the boundaries between people. And before, where you had fences so that you never interacted with people around you, now it's like, oh shit, they're right next to me in the palm of my hand 24 hours a day. And that can be very confronting and that can be um, an issue, I guess. But again, it's, it's how you we, use it. Well, and more than that, I think the natural evolution of our DNA is to form our own fences when none exist. Yes. Yeah. Like, how many people would you be like, dude, you don't even belong on my Telegram. Like, you just, they, they would self-select out of your Telegram. Yeah. I'm in your yeah. Telegram. Yeah. You, but, like, you're forming your own fences because none exist. Yes, exactly. It's, it's, you can't, you know, you can't exist without boundaries. You don't know where you stop and the other finishes and... Yeah. People it's just define a, themselves by the mirror reflecting what they're not. <laughs> I am definitely yes. not a yes. fat trans liberal. Well, what am I then? <laughs> we define ourselves by what we're not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <clears throat> now, I wanted to speak about uh, meditation and, and stretching because uh, I think the two go hand in hand and I, I like how you speak about it on your Twitter as well. Um, what is your practice been with meditation? And I know you said earlier that you're when you can sometimes sit in that awareness and tap into something that's, you know, there's meditation and then there's that, that there's meditation where you, okay, I'm going to calm my thoughts down. And so I have like a better mindset for the day, but then there's meditation that feels magical and spiritual and it comes with practice. I think everyone can access it, but it's still, this thing that's just seems so otherworldly different to the the normal level of human existence and i think that you know this is why monks meditate for hours at a time it's it's a way of tapping through 
uh, to that connection uh, that, that, that we mentioned before. And stretching as well is a physical way of kind of accessing meditation. If you are deep in a, in a yin yoga position and you're letting the fascia all relax and then, you know, there's, there's that argument about the fascial network being the again conduit to that kind of energy patterns and the chakras that align up your spine stretching of which is a, a method to kind of delve into that but what you know how did you start meditation what what kind of practices are you doing and how do you find that that relates to uh, your work and how you just feel in general sure I'd, I'd love to talk about this so i've been meditating um since i've been like 18 years old i'm, I'm 34 now um, so I've been meditating, maybe not every day, but probably if I averaged it out over the last 16 years, three times a week, I yeah. do it more now because I got into it, but that's kind of the average. Um, mm -hmm. Stretching, I just got into, I use this app, Habitica, um, and it makes like your habits like a video game. So it's really useful to keep me on track. It hooks into my dopamine system. It makes me feel like um, like every day if I if I stretch and I meditate, I get I give myself two points and my little character levels up. So anyway. I don't mean to be a fucking welcome billboard for something that I'm not an affiliate for, but Habitica is what I use for that. Anyway, in terms of the spiritual side, so stretching. When I stretch, it has to be over two minutes for a given stretch for me to feel the real effects. Now, if you look into the history of yoga, like before the birth of Christ, like in the old Hindus, yoga was about exploring yourself. Yoga was the science of self. It was meant to say like, hey, I am this, this thing that can experience sensations throughout this body that I kind of got stuck with. So yeah. like yoga to me, when I hold a stretch for a long time, it's kind of painful, but kind of not. And I start vibrating. Like, I feel like there's like an mm. internal metronome that just kind of fits a certain vibration. And when I vibrate, like if I hold, like, let's say I touch my toes and I literally touch my toes for six minutes, like just yeah. hold it for six minutes. After minute four, I feel like my spine's vibrating. And I feel like yeah. most people, when they do stretches, they'll touch their toes for 30 seconds to two minutes, but they don't yeah. actually hold it for the full yeah. four to six minutes. You, you yeah. vibrate. It's just like weird. It's like, but the ancient yogis were like, that's just a method for them to explore what this thing I called I or me is. Like yeah. when you, when you feel like something's vibrating, but it feels like you are vibrating. Am I a vibration? I don't know. Now that's stretching. <laughs> um, meditation. I sense that I am an observer. When I say I, there's like thoughts that come into my mind. There are sounds that come into my ears, photons that hit my eyes, sensations called interoception that I feel like I'm hungry or I'm yeah. stressed, whether I feel the cortisol. Like, But if you really, really get into it, that's all just entering into an observer. Maybe that observer is my brain. Maybe I'm just feeling my five senses or whatever. But meditation means that when I ignore the sentence that enters my mind, what am I? What If I am not the sentence entering my mind, am I the listener? Am I something else? And do I have control over this or, or are my muscle movements outside of my control? So that it, but then you're like, well, hold on. That's just another fucking sentence that I'm supposed to ignore. So like, it's very uh, exponential where I start noticing and listening to the sentences that enter my mind and then I start asking myself questions about those sentences, but then I'm like, wait, 
I'm the one asking the questions. What does that make me? But then yeah. you're like, wait, that itself was just another question. So like, but, but that's the that's the process. What I just described. The effect of that is that if I do that for ten minutes to thirty minutes a day, I just tend to be more clear-headed the rest of the day. I tend to be a little bit more able to pay attention to the questions you would ask on this podcast. I yeah. tend to do a little bit better code when I write my AI code. I tend to uh, lift a little harder because I'm more aware of my body. Like whatever, somehow, I just listen to the the monks that teach me how to do this. But I mean, I I haven't talked to any in person like, you know, Fraz has, but I, I like, listen, I've read all the books. When I ignore the questions and realize that I am just an observer, just an observer that just wants to observe the thoughts entering my mind, yeah. it just tends to make my days better. Yeah. So that's kind of my view of meditation. I feel like I am a soul that's listening to the thoughts in my brain. Yes, that's exactly it. And like, you know that way too, or no? What's your experience like for stretching and meditation? So, stretching in particular, um, the vibration some people say is you know some sort of release and finally your body getting in touch with those muscle cells that were lying inactive and dormant because you've never really pushed to that end range and that's a very you know, materialistic view yes it is and that's the, that's the physical view um but it also is inexplainable well not inexplainable but non-reductionist reductionist physical uh to say that you know you are and release energy that you feel up through your whole spine when you do hold some, you know it's, it's orgasmic almost like sometimes i'm holding stretches and it, there's energy pulsing up from my legs to my spine to my to my third eye and yeah, yeah. It, it really is um you know higher level uh and it feels super good and you know that's not just your muscle cells awakening and the more you can kind of tap into that i think the more spiritual awareness you get it seems to be like the less anxiety and uptightness you hold in yourself as well just day to day uh when you go to those deeper levels of stretching so yoga is and stretching is you know just yoga poses essentially uh it's a way of exploring the physical body accessing spiritual energy and also being able to practice the skill of being present because if you're holding a stretch and then you start thinking about work you're not really putting as much effectiveness in the stretch as you're capable of and i find this is an interesting tool to use as well is that when you have something that's holding tension if you just sit in a stretch and then you focus like so you can stretch unconsciously think about other things but then you can also stretch in a way that you are almost beaming your attention and focus into whatever muscle you're trying to stretch and the stronger and more intensely you can focus that laser of attention the more that tension melts away out of the muscle and i've found that true with all things it's, you know if you're more present during a bench press you think okay now i'm contracting the shoulders and the chest and actually conscious and present in the rep it's going to be more uh, effective and the same is true for stretching now that translates to a meditative awareness and if you're going to do 
you know, one thing over meditation or stretching, I'd choose stretching because you can, I mean, you should do both obviously, but stretching is meditation as long as you do it properly. It's a physical meditation. And I treat the gym in the same way is that this is a time where I'm going to be present in my body. I'm going to be focused. I'm going to be aware. And that I, that I think is is one of the reasons why people enjoy working out so much is because it's a time where they're, you know, if your muscles are burning, you're not fucking worrying about work or anything. You're just present and thinking yeah. about the next rep and you're aware yeah. and in your body. And I think that that's a benefit of working out. It's a benefit of yoga, stretching uh, and meditation itself. I also find with focused meditation, your intuitive sense increases and you could argue that meditation is a way of connecting to the intuitive energy that guides us that you can't really be aware of if you're constantly worried about the 3d realm thoughts that bang around in our brains causing anxiety and things like that yeah i think it's like you just like you can't think about those things when you stretch long enough or meditate long enough like it's just impossible like the thoughts bubble up to the surface but then you're forced to face the stretch feeling <laughs> like you just can't help it yeah. stretching is like forced meditation where like if you're holding the stretch for like four plus minutes like you can think all the stressful thoughts you want but like your attention is gonna go to it but when you're at the gym it's like you pay attention to your muscles contracting and you're hyper present it's just it, it prevents the thoughts from entering your mind because you have to focus on on the bench press if you're benching like over 230 pounds like you need to be focused or you're going to drop the fucking bar <laughs> like yeah. simple like that right exactly um i think you know too like presence to me like I see presence as hyper-focused on, like, the ripples on a leaf on a tree. And you have to train yourself to pay attention to that, and that's important. Yeah. And it's like, how often do you really notice the subtle ripples of, did this part of the leaf move up or down as the wind breezed blew by, you know? It's like, yeah. it's a training. I try to look at it like training, too, you know? Yeah, and you can meditate wherever you are. Like, you don't have to have your legs crossed with your fucking fingers touching or whatever. You can just suddenly access, pay attention to your senses, and be aware of whatever thoughts come into your head. And that now, can be done anytime. Now, I sometimes see meditation at odds with, like, the spiritual, like, I am fated to change the world in this way that's a very ego thought that like maybe you and i are fated to affect the future of culture in a very significant way how do you reconcile that sense of destiny which is very ego driven in my mind with meditation which is very ego less yeah well i don't think that i like you need the ego to exist in this realm right if you have no sense of i there's no sense of other and then you can't love another right if if there was no ego there'd be no separation so you couldn't you know exude love for the other <clears throat> so it's important but 
the intuition and the feelings that I get and whatever drives me to do and say and write the things that I do, that there's, there's always going to be some egoic uh, motivation behind it uh, because of that, because of your need to succeed in the environment and propagate your genes and, you know, have enough money to eat and all the rest of it. Like, that's all needed and that happens. And I don't think you can get rid of that unless you go full monk mode or whatever. But I think the intuition side of it is... I don't know, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting question. I don't, at least I hope I'm not doing these things because I want to be the person that, you know, is exalted for whatever it is that I want to do. You know, I'm doing it because something is acting through me to present this information to help people. And I think it's a dangerous place to be. You know, some spiritual leaders, they eventually turn into cult leaders where they have that power over others. And they, you know, because they have that particular energy about them, they abuse it. And I think that that's, you know, that's an issue to work with, with any success. And some people let that power corrupt them when they, when they are successful or they are just, you know, that they forget the roots of what drove them mm. to start. And I guess it's yeah, just... No, I'm, I'm, I'm careful by asking these questions to certain people because I don't want to be the corrupting influence to anyone, you know? Yeah. I can ask questions that could corrupt people, so I'm trying to be smart. I mean, I don't, not, not about you, but, like, you know, one of the things I was talking about before was, like, I felt like I was destined to start Key Book Club to be the pyramid of knowledge of the future. And one yeah. of the books we recently summarized was the breakdown of the bicameral mind by james great book. or whatever yeah great book. so, so heavy <laughs> it's heavy and you know one of the most interesting pieces of that book was the analysis of the iliad and the book's premise is that the voices of god whether from a religious person or a schizophrenic are actually the hemispheres communicating with one another and it made the point in the Iliad, the very first written story that humans have ever written down, that there was no actual point where there's the character saying, I think. It was more they were conduits for the muses that work through them. That was kind of the sense of the way the book was written, that they just kind of followed the voice in their head and that always stuck with me in a way because the way you just described like you want to share the thoughts you're meant to share with whatever's forcing you to share them it's kind of like what artists talk about the muse kind of inspires them or you know mm. einstein general relativity came to him or newton wanted to discover the mind of god and it came to him like how many science discoveries yeah. from a dream where after they yeah. did all the grunt work they do you do have to do the grunt work there's no denying that yeah but your neurons sort of co coalesce and in the dream state like there's a something that like chat like you're like a conduit or a receiver yeah. through which the muses work, work through you now one i was talking to um Traz a couple weeks ago um professor you know whatever he calls himself that, but, <laughs> um, he says that the word apocalypse means a lifting of the veil, which is an interesting phrase he used because it makes me think that like, you know, we're talking about aliens before with AI or demons or angels or 
God yeah. or divinity or, or you know the cabal or whatever but like lifting of the veil like maybe there's muses out there outside of this 3d very limited electromagnetic <clears throat> spectrum we see that are influencing this and maybe the apocalypse is us being more receptive to the muses or the semi-deities that used to influence humanity now i yeah. sound like a fucking crazy schizophrenic person right now so all the <laughs> I fully recognize that, and I swear I have a PhD and I'm a scientist. I have to say that it makes me feel something. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. You know, the muse, I, there's no other way to put it. You know, I sit down and I write fairly regularly. And the more you do that and the more you show up each day, it's like there is some other intelligence in another realm that goes look he's putting in the work i'm gonna give him some fucking ideas and only first... like an hour it doesn't happen for the first hour you have to really get into the flow state i feel that's my impression maybe you're maybe you're different but sometimes i instantly get into that state sometimes it takes a while sometimes it doesn't happen at all and i'll just close my laptop okay. and go do something else but okay. i know exactly okay. what you mean because sometimes it all comes out and I'm like, this is really good. <laughs> and then other times I'm kind of, you know, really trying to write something yeah. and it just doesn't, it doesn't flow. And the feeling of that is like, there's, there's something else kind of putting the words into your hands, which then you then type out. And again, you know, the model of the universe that works for you, believe that there is a muse because whatever, is doing that whether it's your particular brain working in a certain way or an energetic uh being in another kind of unseen realm right. it could be rational and biological we don't know it could be yeah. completely not esoteric <laughs> yeah just yeah. to be clear exactly but you know these ideas that have existed in ancient times as well are obviously things that humans feel whether it's the brain whether it's you know some people say that they were possessed by the gods possessed by the god of anger at the time or whatever it is like that, a huge state yeah yeah you can be and channel those emotions and those energetic states um they could be gods possessing you for the you know sometimes you feel not so much for me now and uh, but sometimes back in the day that, you know, the anger that you would feel, um, the sadness, the, the, any emotion, like there, there are people do, you know, they get legal defenses that I was consumed by rage. And when I did what I did, I didn't know what I was doing. Like, is that a possession for all purposes? Uh, it could be viewed as such. So, you know, I, I think you have to take, a you don't want to, you don't want to absolve your responsibility of like, oh, I can only work when the muse is flowing through me. And, you know, oh, I was possessed by the, the god of anger when I said yeah, that. Yeah, not my fault. Not my fault. <laughs> not my fault. You can't do that. But you, I, I think having an awareness of that relationship is imperative to know that like, oh, shit, you know, that there's something trying to get a hold of me. There's a demon in my head that's trying to make me go down this path, which I know consciously is is not a good thing to do. And it's not really, I don't really want to say those things. It's just what I said in the moment responding to the ego. I think it's a delicate balance of both. And you take the positives of that mental model and then leave the negatives. I like that. You know, it's like the the Jewish people have the view of the Gala, 
which is just like the meat sack, like the Frankenstein's monster, like just the animated fucking meat flesh yes. sack, whatever. Yes. And it's kind of like the muse is like the perfect, you know, Nietzsche's Ubermensch, maybe. Ubermensch is more grounded, but maybe something, you know, I'm sure there's some philosopher who's talked about it, but like the higher self. And yeah. I think it's like, it's like the simplistic view is like, oh, I'm either the brute, the meat sack, or I'm the higher self in the muse. And that's very much what we see on Twitter. It's like, mm. be your higher self or embrace the beast. And it's like, I don't think that's a very nuanced view. And I think the view is like, communicate with the muse because the muse we all have our own individual muses i think it's multiple but they don't understand the material realm and we kind of have to be like okay you make us feel something you make us write something we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna nudge this very very slightly to fit in with actual society like they yeah. don't understand society. they're just if they're real they're in the fucking spirit realm and they don't really know what's going on in the world but we yeah. don't get what's going on in their realm and we think they're just stupid and we're super scientific so it's kind of like you want to like open a channel of communication where you kind of work together and kind of yeah. like navigate your way very intelligently and subtly and divinely through whatever's halfway between the material and the spiritual realm that's how i view it yes exactly with you know the knowledge that we've curated in our scientific right. models so far but not discounting right. or solely believing either one I think is the smartest way to to do it there's, there's no reason to deny gravity <laughs> like, yeah yeah, I mean, yeah there's exactly. also no reason to deny when i get in when we, you and i are we get into a flow state and i write code or write write a write an epic poem i might write or you might write something for your followers and you just you know the spirit took you you know there's yeah. no reason to deny either, right yeah. no deny either yeah exactly <clears throat> Alright, dude. Well, I think that will wrap us up. Um, thanks for joining me on the Soul Cards. Where can people reach you uh, for more deeper thrill uh, content? Twitter, man. Deeper thrill on Twitter. At cool. deeper thrill. I, I, I always respond to DMs. I'm very responsive. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm, I'm very open to conversations. And I'm also on the Lambros. So join the Lambros. Join Lambros Society. More hitters like deeper thrill in there. So. Lots of wisdom to get. All right, bro. Thanks so much. That was a great discussion. Uh, thanks for joining me on the Soulcast, and I'm sure we'll do this again sometime. You got it. Take care, man. Bye. See you, bro.